0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene! Eugene Fodor! Jean, we'll boot it!
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
1: So you write the books, Gene, and the on the business. I understand now it is a wise man Marie's a wiser woman.
0: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
2: podcasts.
1: Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does.
4: Oh, hi, hello there. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm your host, Liv, here with another bonus episode devoted to breaking down the mythological characters and references in Q Code's podcast, Cupid. Once again, if you are here as a usual listener of my podcast, I highly recommend you have a listen to Q Code's podcast. Cupid. Not just because this episode will be more exciting, but also because it's a fun, dramatic, and silly rom-com podcast dedicated to the Olympian gods. (laughs) What more could you ask for? And if you're here as a listener of Cupid, welcome. Hi, I have so much mythology to throw at you. You're going to be simply obsessed with it by the time I'm done with you. Today's episode is Breaking Down Everything in Cupid Episode 5, which came out yesterday, And boy, is there a lot in episode 5. I had a real thrill taking notes for today's After Show episode. It's going to be a good one. So let's dive right in. This is the bonus Cupid After Show, the never-ending drama of Olympians Amongst Mortals. This latest episode of Cupid is absolutely jam-packed with fun mythological references, in addition to being action-packed. Lots of excitement among our new friends, Cupid, Rose, and Scooter Boy. First and foremost, we've got our closest references to Cupid's most famous story, and an incredibly important line. In this version of Olympus, it's forbidden for gods to fall in love with mortals. Now a reminder that Cupid is the Roman name for the god of love, known in Greek mythology as Eros. But his most famous story does come from Rome, and thus, Cupid it is. It is none other than Apuleius's story, Cupid and Psyche, found in his Roman novel, The Golden Ass, or The Metamorphoses. I mentioned Cupid and Psyche before simply because of this, but today's episode is making some nearly explicit references to that story, so I want to share with you the Cliff's Notes version. It's a long story, and an incredibly fun one. You can find a full-length retelling of it from the early days of my podcast. It's in the Spotify playlist found in the episode's description. The story revolves around Psyche, a mortal woman down on Earth who is so beautiful that people around her start comparing her to the goddess Aphrodite, or because this is Roman, her name is Venus. Venus is not a fan of being compared to mortals, and she gets very, very angry. She sends her son, Cupid, down to Earth to use his arrows to force Psyche to fall in love with some monstrous creature, so that she's essentially taken off the market and the people of her town can go back to thinking Venus is the most desirable. Long story short, instead, Cupid falls in love with Psyche and concocts an intricate and pretty weird plan to keep her tucked away from Venus's prying eyes so they can marry? But in secret? Mm. Because he can't show his divine form to Psyche, so instead, he visits her at night. In the dark. And they, yeah, do what married people do. She doesn't see him at all. Again, it's not not weird. There is so much more to this story, like three episodes of my podcast worth, but there are too many other references to break down in today's aftershow to go much further. Ultimately, The Aphrodite of this episode, who can't bear to see her son in love, who wants to be the highlight of his life forever, is so deeply the Venus from the story of Cupid and Psyche. Meanwhile, it's also the perfect example of a story where a god falls in love with a mortal and things become complicated, to put it mildly. But this story of Cupid and Psyche is just one instance of not only a god falling in love with a mortal... With oh-so-famous results, looking at you, Beauty and the Beast, which absolutely has origins in Cupid and Psyche. But also, it's just one example of Aphrodite's children falling in love with a mortal. See, Aphrodite and Ares had another godly child, a sister of Cupid or Eros. Her name was Harmonia, and she is the only, catch that, the only goddess to marry a mortal man and live her life as a mortal. She marries the hero Cadmus, and they go on to found a somewhat cursed dynasty in the city that they founded together, Thebes. Now, Cupid and Psyche, just to spoil the end a little bit, they do end up together, but not down on Earth, which is what continues to make Harmonia so special. But yeah, Aphrodite's children have a thing for mortals. But you know who else does? The god Dionysus, another character who features very heavily in this episode. And who says, specifically, that love is just a pain in the ass. Guess what? Dionysus is the only Olympian god to marry, that's right, a mortal woman! And not just any mortal woman, but Ariadne, a princess from Crete and the woman who Theseus famously abandoned on an island after she single-handedly helped him defeat the Minotaur. (sighs) Dionysus finds her on that island, Naxos, shortly after Theseus left her there, and they fall in love. And not only that, because, well, a lot of gods fall for mortals, or at least they have sex with them and they say they fall for them, looking at you, Zeus. But no, Dionysus marries Ariadne and he makes her a goddess. He brings her up to Mount Olympus and he puts her crown in the stars as a symbol of their love. It's the Corona Borealis. But speaking of Zeus, Hera makes an absolutely A-plus comment about him and mortal women. She even says if she had a golden fleece for every time he did it. Man, like I said, this episode is just stuffed with perfect mythological references for me to break down. So let's move on to Hera and the golden fleece and Zeus's exploits. If I had a dollar for every time Zeus spotted a woman, be she mortal or nymph, down on Earth and decided he'd fallen in love with her, no matter whether she liked it or not, I would be a very rich woman. Or in Hera's case, she'd have a whole lot of golden fleeces. The story of the golden fleece is one that goes way, way back in the wide realm of Greek mythology, but it's most famously retold in a work called the Argonautica. It's by a poet named Apollonius of Rhodes, and it's from the Hellenistic period which is the period right before Greece comes under control of Rome, so it's quite late in the grand scheme of Greece. The origin of the Golden Fleece is a story in itself, but it's most famous for being the item that the so-called hero, Jason, is questing for with his ship, the Argo, and his crew, the Argonauts. And Jason is helped by a certain goddess in his long and arduous quest, Or rather, his crew goes through a lot on this quest, Jason himself, as a guest on my show once said, has the personality of a used dishcloth. Still, it is, as you might have already guessed, the goddess Hera, who helps him along, who makes sure he stays out of trouble, and who convinces Aphrodite and Eros to have the princess of Colchis, who I've mentioned before, Medea as her fall in love with Jason. And if you recall, their story doesn't go super well. So it's Hera who is most associated with the Golden Fleece, at least when it comes to the Olympian gods, and it's Hera who's constantly, and I mean constantly, dealing with the fact that her husband, Zeus, is literally always down on Earth having sex with women and nymphs whoever, even other goddesses, and at least one man. Zeus has so many children with women that aren't Hera that I can't even begin to get into it. I once tried to read all their names on the podcast just to really drill in the point, but it was too many names. Like, it literally would have gotten boring. (laughs) Of course, from a mythological standpoint, this is just a way of associating the king of the gods with mortals down on Earth and other powerful deities. But from a storytelling perspective, it does mean that Hera is almost always depicted as a scorned woman, and that much has absolutely made its way into Q-Code's Cupid, albeit comedically. Still, it's super satisfying to me, a woman who has built a career on talking about what a predator Zeus is. If you're curious about just a handful of the more famous encounters he's had outside of his marriage with Hera, there's an episode in the playlist. Now, let's get to the really meaty mythological reveals that came in Episode 5 of Q-Code's Cupid. And here's your first spoiler alert. So if you're listening to this before yesterday's episode of Cupid and you don't want to be spoiled, come back once you've listened. Alright, let's talk Hades. Or rather, let's talk about the Underworld. We'll talk more about Hades the God next week when we get a bit more of that newly revealed villain. For now, let's talk the Underworld and that very well-placed, three-headed... I wait, sorry, I guess it was just three dogs. But I mean, what can you do when you're living amongst mortals? they might have questioned a three-headed dog. Yes, I'm talking about the oh-so-dramatic reveal of Hades being the big bad of Cucode's Cupid and his three dogs. Now, I'll admit I was told about the Hades reveal ahead of time, but it was still a real thrill to hear the reference to the three guard dogs. The perfect little hint, an easter egg, a nod to those in the mythological loop. But I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? let's talk about Cerberus, the mythological reference that's inherent in these three guard dogs. Cerberus is the famed three-headed dog that guards the entrance to the underworld, Hades' realm, alongside his wife and goddess, who is ultimately even more powerful than he is, Persephone. Cerberus is a famous guy far beyond the world of mythology. Many people are familiar with him because, well, he's pretty damn cool. But he's not always what we think of, a gigantic dog with three heads. Like, think Clifford, but vicious and three-headed. No. In the earliest myths we have, when Cerberus is featured, well, he's a bit more unique. And certainly a lot more scary. See, Cerberus has a mane of snakes. Yeah, you heard me right. The origins of Cerberus, the three-headed pup we all know and love, had a full Main of snakes. Or rather, three of them. And like hundreds of snakes. Visually, he was a lot. Over time he became seen as more and more like a dog, that the idea that we get now. But his snaky origins are one of my favorite things, and I find myself having to tell literally everyone about it. Because I mean, just picture it. A giant three-headed dog with three manes of hissing snakes. Ugh, gross. No, thank you. All the same, though, there are few instances of people interacting with Cerberus. So in honor of his appearance in Cupid in the form of three Rottweilers, let's look at those points in the mythology where people have to deal with Cerberus. First is the story where we get the idea that he can be lulled into submission, or even lulled to sleep. This comes from the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, which entirely coincidentally I covered on the podcast at the same moment I was writing the script for this one. The episode is in the playlist. Orpheus was a famous, and I mean famous, musician. Like, the best of the best. He was just so ridiculously talented. So when his wife died, just days after they'd gotten married, he decided to try to use his musical skills to bring her back to life. He traveled to the underworld, something that only happens a handful of times in the mythology and which is called a catabasis. And he played his music for the whole of that realm of the dead. He calmed Cerberus, he made the Furies tear up, and best of all, his skills at the lyre and in song did indeed convince both Hades and Persephone, that king and queen of the underworld, to let him take his wife Eurydice back to the land of the living. Except, well, he fucked up and he didn't follow their instructions. He did, however, manage to play music well enough to lull that three-headed, snake-haired dog to sleep, so that's something. The other famous interaction with Cerberus is, of course, Heracles, better known by his Roman name of Hercules. Heracles had to complete twelve labors, and one of them was stealing Cerberus right from under Hades and Persephone's noses. Heracles had no real trouble completing that one. He wrestled Cerberus, subdued him, and dragged him back up to the land of the living. Cerberus, while snaky and weird, is most certainly one of the best parts of the Underworld. As always, thank you so much for listening to this bonus Cupid After Show episode. These are so fun. I love pulling up the little references and expanding upon them for all of you, giving you this added information to understand the mythology and get you to love it as much as I do. It's just, it's too fun. So stay tuned for more and maybe check out one of the over 400 episodes of this show that exist to share any and all of the Greek mythological stories with you. Remember, there's a playlist in the episode's description with some relevant episodes or long versions of stories I've mentioned here. It's the perfect place to start. Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by ACAST. Big thank you to QCode for teaming up with me on these bonus episodes. They are just such fun. Thank you all. I am Liv and I love this shit.
0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Jean! Eugene Fodor. Jean, Vulgin!
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person
1: you share it with. You ride the books, Jean. last on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man marries a wiser woman. But be careful and
0: choose your travel partner well. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh!
1: Jean, run!
0: So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple
3: Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.